0: Thank you. and welcome to The Executive Appeal, a show that convenes the world's most powerful and successful leaders to share mentoring and career advancement advice to help you successfully transition into senior level executive positions. I'm your host, Alex Trumbull, award-winning speaker, author, and leadership expert with over a decade of experience coaching and advising some of our nation's most senior level government leaders. So if you're ready to reach your goals, let's get started. Hello everyone, my name is Alex Trimble and this is the Executive Bill Podcast. As you know, this show, along with all of our speaking, consulting, coaching services, are laser focused on helping organizations prepare high-performing leaders from all backgrounds to successfully transition to and excel in VP and senior VP level executive level positions. And if you and your organization are serious about developing diverse and highly effective executive leadership teams, then you are in the right place. And two, I encourage you to visit us at gpsleadership.org today or reach out to us at team at gpsleadership.org so we can help you discuss and find the ways to make sure we're reaching your leadership and culture elevation goals. Um, Look, the Executive Pill is now one of the top 5% most popular shows in the world. Yes, mic drop, do a little shake and shimmy, Um, because that's awesome. And this didn't happen by accident. It was you who made this possible and it's you who determines the continued success of this show. So please, if you enjoy this content, if you're learning and growing and you're believing that this is having some profound positive impact on you, do us a favor. Please click that like button. Please share your thoughts and questions in the comment section. And please do your best to share this with at least two friends or colleagues today because your interaction is what pushes this out to more and more people. Finally, I am so excited to announce that my new book, Relationships That Work, Four Simple Steps to Building Intentional Connections in Business and in Life, is now available on Amazon today. So please, look, if you are an ambitious leader who inspires to rise to the most senior level executive positions within your industry, this book is for you. It will provide you with the step-by-step process to making your career dreams a reality. And now, let me say, without any further ado, let me say, today is a good day. See, today we have the always awesome, always amazing, very extremely talented, Pete Sparber. See, Pete was originally educated in the fine arts, mastering, getting his master's in at Cornell. Yes, the Cornell, but a capital C. And after a complete and complex career path spanning a variety of fields, Pete began practicing human resources mid-career. And boy, was he good at it. See, Pete served in roles such as VP of Human Resources in Apparel and Advanced Textiles at Invista. He was VP for International Human Resources at Molex and finally Chief Human Resources Officer at N4. He retired in 2022 after 20 years in HR leadership roles with Coke Industries. (sighs) Look, throughout his career, Pete has focused on on working as a servant leader and and, and building ethics-centered human resource organizations. Pete has now devoted himself full-time to the development of the visual arts in Philadelphia and his personal pursuit as a painter. Without any further ado, what's going on, Pete?
1: Hey, Alex. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. And um, you're you're uh, you're not helping me in my long-term pursuit to kind of unwind my ego.
0: <laughs> See, look. Normally, everyone I'm the one who kicks us off with jokes. See, this is why Pete is so amazing. <laughs> So, well, can I ask you what's going on in your work? I have a host of questions I want to ask you, but can I ask you really quickly, how are you feeling? How are you doing? What's going on in your world?
1: Oh, well, um, I, I went through this very sudden transition from working 70 hours a week. Um, and I'm really going to date myself, um, working intensely for 42 years, um, you know, uh, and then culminating in this, this period of, um, you know, working a job and a half, plus all kinds of stuff going home and moving back from overseas. We were overseas in Asia for a bunch of years. All this crazy stuff, you know, 300 emails a day and mm-hmm. then a day, like, one email a day. <laughs> from me, right? <laughs> yes, and it was from Alex. Yes, exactly. So one of the things that I kind of had realized in that was that, that the career track was... Um, uh, it was very, very linear, and it was something that, uh, we're talking about ego, you know, that really kind of just said, oh, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Just keep on that. And suddenly there's this big open space, and so that's created a lot of kind of internal work in terms of mm-hmm. recognizing how I think about myself and my relationships and the nature of, you know, goal-seeking and um you know how to how to bring meaning into life ultimately so it's it's an interesting time i mean i'm doing pretty well with it but it's um it's it's its own kind of
0: work you, you know i love that you kicked us off heading in this direction i was listening to an interview i think uh, like two three weeks ago now and it was a, of a basketball player and he was like um He'd done really well, obviously, in life. I can't remember which basketball player it was, but he'd done very well. And he was retired. He retired at the age of, I think it was like 30 or something like that. And he had like $500 you know, million. Dollars, something, something, something ridiculous, right? And the interviewer said, you know, so like, how, how's being you? And he was like, it's hard. It's really hard. He said, since I was a child, my life was basketball, train, eat, right? Go work out, practice, play a game. And he says, even during the season, like it's, it's a clockwork, you know, exactly what you're going to do every single day. And basketball is life. And then you retire and you don't need money. Money is not an issue for you. And your question becomes, what do I do? Um, In his example, he actually said he found himself the first, I think he said six months driving to practice or driving to the city and then eating lunch and then driving back because each way was 2 hours and allowed him just to burn time <laughs> so so my question for you is i think this is a great is a great way to start us off as you are pursuing um these these extremely successful prominent roles there takes a lot of effort to get there um in retrospect, do you believe that, that leaders pursuing the same path as you should also be thinking about, okay, what am I going to do when I off-ramp? Like, or do you just, you just don't have time to think about that?
1: Yeah, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I would actually say and this might be contrary to what you might think. You don't, like, put it this way. So it's, I'll give you a par- parallel experience so Alex, you're recently a father. Congrat <laughs> Right. Right. Yes yeah, sir. So going into fatherhood, you might read a bunch of books and you might talk about it, mm. but you don't know until you get <laughs> um and it's it's a little it's a little like that. I think the actual reality of making a major change like this is like you know when you're changing roles in a big way but even much more fun you know really really fundamental and it's potentially one of the most fundamental transitions in your life actually um you i think you have to discover it because there's a lot of um self-discovery involved in in the process and about things that that you know you You can't, you can't exactly plan. You can't pre-experience. You have to be, you have to jump into the pool and start swimming, you know, to really know what that's like. So I I think actually maybe not spending a lot of time on it.
0: What can you walk us through? Because I know you have things you, you're, you're busy um, or you have things. You and I've talked about it, but like what has been your process of finding yourself now that you've, you've off rammed?
1: Um. All right, you're giving me interesting things to think about, and (laughs) that's what I do. uh, So I I think um, first, there's it's it's akin to you've got a grieving process, right? Um, And you have to be uh, you know very aware, kind of, of your own emotional state and kind of what you're holding on to, what you miss, and that gets into the ego issues, right? So when you're in these elevated roles, uh, like a CHR role, there is a lot of positive feedback, right? There's, there's a lot of coming your way, tension, there's all of that. So when that goes away in a snap, um, then we start to think about, well, what, you know, what, what was the role of all of that, you know, ego gratification? What, what, did, that, what did that really mean? What was, what was that propelling? What's behind it? And what a kind of, what am I going through now? You know, and I was joking about a little bit before, but really, you know, a lot of this is kind of an introspective journey about, you know, unentangling uh, some remnant emotional issues, you know, from across my life that, you know, was maybe adding to me being driven and sorting that out um, from, how can I say this? So here's, here's the thing, and I'm sorry, this is wandering a little bit, but As I kind of clear away things from my own mind and get past some of my own, you know, like ego needs and ego issues, what was interesting to me was I found I still had, I don't know how to quite describe it, whether it's energy or ambition, it's, it's really a desire to contribute. There's a powerful desire to contribute. And that was always there. And that was always colored by different things. And and channeled in different ways. But just, and I don't know that everybody's made that way, but I know when I stop, what I realize is that, and it's not an ego thing. It's not almost like a personal, it's an impersonal thing. It's like I'm I'm in the world to to contribute something meaningful. I I kind of have to do that. And the moment I don't do something like that, I I start to pay a price. So each day. You know, and and so what naturally happened was not having the ability to help uh, Infor in this particular mission that is, you know, advancing the technologies in the world and making the change that will come out of technologies like that. I, I went back to, you know, my original state, which was, you know, I have a certain amount of aesthetic insight and talent and saying, you know, what, what's happening now in, in the world of, um, this is going to be very esoteric for your audience, but visual arts, you know, where is it? What is it? What, what, what can I bring, if anything, to to that? Which is tough. I mean, I always thought, you know, it's one thing, challenges of, a, you know, trying to push ahead in a business career, things to make an impact on the actual development and realization and meaning of visual arts in a society. I don't have a lot of hope, but, you know, I'm impelled to try.
0: <laughs> well, you know, so uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to go down that, that path just a little bit longer. You, you talk about the visual arts and, and I, as I was doing my homework, um, I, I saw one of your, your projects, a uh, uh, city of sand, or um, maybe you would call it a shark boy. <laughs> um, yeah. And you, you talked about how doing that, that painting was difficult because a, a substantial portion of it was sand and so you had to figure out what to put in there to provide, like, I guess, adepting and so on and so forth. And you talked about the, the idea of, you call it uh, recombining, um, where you would take things you saw as you drive with that and you would kind of thought of those different things, took those two different pieces and put it into your artwork, recombining. And it sounds like, uh, it sounds like that is kind of what you do in, like, in life as well, right? You're, like, you're taking different pieces, whether, whether it be from the, the arts community, from the human resource community, and putting it together to create something great that can help and serve other people.
1: Right, right. Well, I mean, it, and it's interesting that you, you're bringing this up now because it actually bears a lot of relevance to some things I'm working through with, with my work. But, I mean, life is kind of like that, right? So we're sort of in this world, and. There's all the stuff that we're aware of, um, the people around us, the situations around us, uh, what's inside of us. And it's like, um, you know, in a way, it's this huge candy store of stuff. And then you've got a task that you've got, you you know, or various tasks, right? And we'll put aside the personal, critical personal tasks, but the work tasks. And then, you know, the question becomes, ultimately, you maybe think about it, or one way to think about it is I have all this resource, information, knowledge, people, structure, theory, practice, blah, blah, blah. And here's, there's a challenge here. And then I'm sort of the uh, catalyst in the middle of these two worlds. And, and what is essentially, what is everything that I can do with everything I've got over here to advance this problem over here? And that's a combinatorial activity, you know, that's synthesis and creativity. So it's just, you know, use everything.
0: So you, you, you make me think of a point I'm, when we talk about expertise, right? Like there, there's, there's a thought that, um, let's just say, I am, I'm really great at, actually I talk about this in my, in my new book, Relationships at Work, but it's, say like I'm really good at um, um, music. Right. I think mean, there's a, a difference between the person who is, I am a really, really great um, guitar player. I'm really, really great. I'm the best guitar player ever. Um, there's difference between that person and the person who maybe, yes, really great at the guitars, but they also understand like um, sound in general. So they understand the acoustics of a room and how that will impact the, the sound of the guitar, they understand the different textures of the, of the, of the strings that are on there, how that will impact. And, and so my, my point being, like you said, I, for me, expertise in, a, in an area doesn't mean that you only know that particular thing. It means that you can take information from many different sources and integrate it into whatever that topic is to maybe create something new, like you said, innovation to create and, and solve problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, sort of a, you know, very kind of interesting direction, you know, if I think about what you're talking about, so, right. So you've got a person who technically is very strong, which is sort of a very deep kind of narrow process. Um, but then you've got someone with a broader process, you know, and, and I thought, for instance, as I looked through and, and you know, kind of went through, well, what, what am I good at? And that sort of brings up another thing, which is kind of the stories that we tell ourselves and the importance of those. Um, so as, as I was uh, at somewhere in my career inventing what am, I, what am I good at, one of the things that I uh, kind of recognized and then became a story I told myself was uh, pattern recognition. And, and again, because I came from the situation, right, where I had an art background, aesthetic, understanding, capability, and a lot of that is pattern recognition. And, and then there was a point where I felt, you know, wait a minute, business is sort of like the same thing. You know, it's a big um, canvas of human, human drama and activity and structure and other kinds of things. And you know, the way um, the way you see that, if you can kind of the patterns. Um, I, was, I was just listening to another podcast talking about uh, some of the like the differences between how some of the large artificial intelligence, large language models work, and like the you know how we process as humans and you know, one of the, one of the things that, that was coming out of that particular discussion was the ability of humans on not much information to understand things, you know, to walk into a situation. And I think sometimes that's really, and again, stories that we tell ourselves, it's sort of like opening ourselves up to a belief that we recognize things, that when we walk into a room and we kind of look around and get a take on people, that we probably do have a take on people. That when we look at, you know, and I always I felt this, saw this, had this experience, saw this with other people. It's like, you know, you walk into a meeting and people are, are not talking, but like they're all, you know, you're, you're thinking, oh, my God, this presentation, this really doesn't make sense. Or you really ought to be doing this. And people don't want to say anything because, you know, think, oh, I'm probably wrong. I'm probably the only one. And then if somebody speaks up and points it out, it's like you realize everybody in the room is seeing it. Um, so what's, I think that the point of this is, you know, I tell myself I'm good at pattern recognition, but I believe we're all good at pattern recognition. Um, and that pattern recognition or ability to synthesize a lot of information, much of it beyond our conscious uh, comprehension and kind of get an intuition or, or know really what's going on or what, what's the right direction, you know, or, or who has the right direction, that that's a very powerful capability almost really in all of us. And, and it may actually just be more a matter of telling ourselves the story, giving ourselves permission to ride on that horse. Anyway, I'm not sure exactly that's what you're getting at, but <laughs> it's what it made me think of.
0: I, I, I want to I I pull on that thread actually a bit okay. more. So that is one of the skills I believe I have. And that, that's one of the stories I tell myself as I'm at... Um, I am not the smartest guy, I'm not the sharpest tool in, in, in the drawer, um, but I am really good at finding patterns and synthesizing information. Um, so if you and I were driving, and I'm down in uh, Woodbridge, Virginia, so if you and I were driving down this uh, the 95 freeway, um, you would see me start off on the left side of the road freeway for about you know five, six miles, then I would transition to the, the, uh, the, the right side. And for another, maybe 10 miles, and maybe I then push all the way back over to the, the far right lane, the far left lane again. And am I just doing that for any reason? No, like, because I, I've picked up on the traffic patterns. Right. I know that if I move over certain places, I'm going to be able to pass everybody up. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we talk, if we, if we, if we make the assumption that the vast majority of people have this ability, then I always ask myself why am I the only one doing this though? Like there are people who sit in the same lane and just just in traffic for a long time. It's like, why do you believe that some people maybe have these abilities, but then don't utilize them?
1: Um, I, I, I think we probably have to look at our, our history, um, how we were brought up, the people that were around us, uh, how we interpreted the people around us. Uh, and what we embedded in terms of self-concept, maybe from early on. Um, you know, we have an, an amazing ability to to blind ourselves to things. You know, I was listening, this is an, another thing from a, a podcast. I have more time for podcasts these days. Um, you know, they were saying that there was a, a patient with multiple personality disorder, which has a new name, but that's the old recognized name. And one of the the alters the versions of the personality said they were blind and then they did an idea do a brain scan of that person and what happened was that the visual cortex when that alter took over the visual cortex shut down there was no activity and but when the, the sighted part of the person took over then it lit up and it was fine so it was the the belief within the same hardware you know that. You, you couldn't see something. Made made it. You didn't. So that you were blind. That's an extreme. But I think I think so much of us. You know, I think as human beings, we've got tremendous amounts of intelligence and potential. And sometimes a lot of it has to do just with you know, how we define ourselves and maybe limit limit ourselves. Are you ready to bring your DEI efforts to the next level? Introducing Alex Tremble a professional speaker who combines expertise and entertainment to create an unforgettable experience for DEI professionals and organizing staff. With a focus on leadership, mentorship, and relationship building, Alex is dedicated to helping organizations attract, develop, and retain diverse and high qualified leaders from the 12 pillars of an effective mentoring relationship to the seven must-have leadership skills alex provides practical advice that can be immediately implemented don't miss out on the opportunity to have alex at your next event contact team at alextremble.com to book the speaker who will take your organization's diversity and inclusion journey to new heights
0: Then you, you make me think, obviously, of the quote, I think, therefore I am, right? And you, you now, you, you, you got me going in a different direction, which you and I had talked about before, which is, you know, at these, at these okay, can you provide a little context as to the level of leadership you had within your organization's? You know, the, the number of employees, the, the resource. Can you provide a little bit of context first? Because that, that'll help me with my next question.
1: Sure. So, so I had a couple of roles where I was headed up HR, which would have been like a maybe a 60, 70 person organization for a division with an employee population of five, six, 7,000 people. And some of those roles um, were the headquarters for one of them was based outside of Tokyo. And um, and another near, um, at least part of it, uh, out of Shanghai. So different culture, but with that kind of span, and those are all global operations. And then in in Infor, you know, 17,000 people in, um, oh, I don't know, 50 countries, uh, HR organization of maybe 280 that did everything that you can think the nature organization does.
0: So- I wanted you to provide that context for our audience, because the next question is, when you get up to those levels and you're in those senior level rooms, you and I were talking about how almost Game of Thrones it can be or, or Hunger Games. It's like it's, it's intense, you were, you were talking about. And so I want I to first, can you, what does it feel like to be operating at that level? I, I, if we can provide that context as well.
1: Yeah, I think the most, um, you know, so it's like, as, as I was, uh, and again, this is, you know, for me, uh, these were late in life experiences. And I think, as you mentioned, I got into HR mid-career. So, you know, I have a very strong <laughs> sense of contrast and appreciation. I, you know, it's like, um, not born with the silver spoon in the corporate world. When I graduated as an art graduate, the only thing I could do is type. And when I got, I was in my early 40s and and had never supervised anyone All right, so a lot of this was happening later in life so let me let me address the you know kind of the ultimate role the chr role and that was sort of like the sense i got was like you know you, here's this sort of layer and you're you know you're putting your head up above the layer and you rise up into the space and you now have stakeholders at every angle. So you've got a, you know, you've got a this organization, 250 people, 280 people. What are they doing? What are their strategies? How does that fit to the vision and the direction of the corporation? Are you forming the faith in the organization so that when you see changes and you implement them, that that organization is going to be at least okay with it? So, a uh, very visceral sense, right? So, you're, you're kind of uh, coming up through this layer. And, um, and I, I think prior to that, what I didn't realize until later was to a degree you were sort of always protected. You may not have felt you were protected, but there was always somebody kind of that you reported to that, for better or worse, was a layer. But when you're in, in that, that, uh, that kind of leadership role, You've got stakeholders, yes, at every single angle, right? So there's 280 people who uh, comprise, you know, seven or eight different functions. And are those teams well run? Do they have really good talent? Are they uh, strategically, are they fit to the purposes of mission and vision of the company? And um, are they connecting with you? Are you uh, creating the right vision and strategies and relationships with that organization? But that's only just part of it. Because then you've got, within the company, all the people that are looking at your capability. And um, you know, are they happy with what they're seeing? Are they satisfied with the, the services? Do they believe in the vision for your part of what you're doing? You know, So you've got 17,000, in that case, 17,000 critics also that are looking at you. Then you've got your, your peers on the leadership team, all of whom are intensely involved in their, their own things. And what are those relationships like? You know, are you able to foster the key ones and work through things with people in in the right way? Uh, Then you've got your boss. There's a CEO. And and I always think that that job, for whatever, like, the CHR role is and how intense that is, that's got to be 10 times more intense. So um, she or he, you know, and what's that relationship like? You know, are you cultivating in a productive way? And then there's the board. And the board wants to know what's happening and you know, is your function being well run and have that part of it? And then in the role that I was in, then you had this sort of the, you know, the co parent company, you've got there's a shadow capability of HR over there. They're also looking at what you're doing. Right. So, <laughs> you know, in, in a sense of, you know, let's like stepping out on the stage, you know, naked. You're 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 there and all of that everything needs to be, to be managed. And it's, um,
0: you know, that's the full-time job. Full-time and some. What's going
1: <laughs> so it was that it was the sense, the thing that was really, um, different about that is the, um, the sense of the, 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 stakeholders in every direction, the multiple, you know, it's like you're in the middle of a sphere and, uh, you've got relationships in every direction.
0: Well, and, and, and again, you use that R word, which I wanted to just key in on: relationships in every direction. And I'd love to hear from you. Like, how did you go about? I mean, again, you talked about it when you're going through this, discerning which relationships are critical for you to to create and maintain, and which relationships maybe you can wait on. Like, how do you decide where to spend your limited energy and time in that those relationship building efforts?
1: Yeah. Well. I, I think that's a combination, maybe, of two things, um, structural in the company. So, for instance, you know, like the HR organization, let's say, has to relate to the services organization. And so there's a reason for you to get close to the services leader um, so that the two of you can productively talk about issues back and forth, you know, what am I seeing in services? What is services seeing in HR? So, so you kind of need to have that kind of relationship. And then that will vary across the spectrum. And, and you kind of in all these things because you just have a limited amount of time, you need to sort of pick your shots. So what are the sort of the critical functional work junctures that you've got? And the other part of it is sort of like, who do you really, who you're simpatico with? You know, who, who, who feels good to you? Who, who's a, who, who do you trust? Who do you have, you know, friendship with? And, and that, I mean, the two, sometimes I think almost that's the more important one. You know, we, if we really, it's like, it's almost like emphasizing your strengths. You know, you hear this all the time, but I just think it's so true that, you know, if you really see and try to value and cultivate your strengths, see and value and cultivate the positive relationships wherever those may be. So, you know, you're just gonna look at across that field and pick your shots. And I think with those two kinds of input, and then probably, you know, your relationship always to your supervisor is very important.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, always one that should be maintained at, at, if and whenever possible. I, I know we're starting to come up against our time, but I, I, there's, there, there's a question that's completely left field-ish okay. that I wanted to run by you because you and I did talk about this briefly and the last time we spoke, um, you had some time in Tokyo. You had some time in Shanghai. You had some time uh, in, in a number of cities and states across the uh, United States of America. Do you, I'm gonna prep myself for the next, for the next question. Do you believe that you, that you benefited from being immersed in the cultures that you were living in? Oh, God, yes. Okay. Of course. So you said, uh, "Of course." You said, "God, yes." Okay. So my follow-up question is: Yeah, you and I've now talked about. See, I, I set you up. So you, you and I talked about how, um, in today's market, more and more positions are remote, and people want to be more remote. More. And again, I'm I'm not the one to to, to advocate in any organization making 100 percent of their employees be in office all the time, um, and or move. I'm not not advocating for that. But isn't there something missing if if no one does leave their own communities, if they, if they're not getting out and having to at least try to be somewhere else in a different state, a different country, because you we, I think I think we do benefit and grow from from just being immersed in a different culture.
1: yeah, okay, so a, a, a couple thoughts. <laughs> All right, me get my uh, kind of perspective on this. So I, I have like two, two conflicting perspectives on this. Um, one is, you know, prior to the pandemic, like when I, I went to Japan, that was an incredibly intense and tough role. Um, there was a division that was I mean, it was basically run like Japan in 1974 was militaristic and punitive and, you know, the sort of character, and it needed to change. I was felt I was like dropping in behind lines in that one. And we did it. I did it, actually. And I don't think you could have done it unless you were in the room, rooms, looking at people, sensing the body language understanding the dynamics of the culture. I mean, you just need, to, you need a lot of information, a lot of, you know, tremendous intensity of information to understand how to, like, how do you profoundly change a culture? What, what really is going to do that? So absolutely, you know, now what I gained in experience, I mean, that you need a whole bunch of other podcasts to kind of go into what you get out of, like, living in another country for a few years. But Here's another side of it, which was I felt uh, before the pandemic that on interviews, I could do initial interviews like this in a video interview. But to really know I had to sit down with somebody, I had to be across the table, usually, you know, for a couple hours uh, and looking at them. And and I am somebody who like firmly believes that 95 percent of what transpires between human beings isn't the words. It's everything else, you know, and not just the look and the body movements and probably chemicals in the air, and God knows what. But coming through the pandemic, and then you have to understand that in the two and a half years that I was in that in-for role, for the majority of that two years, there was no traveling. So I got to know that organization, created the strategies implemented them, you know, changed a lot of what that organization was about, refitting it to the goals of an organization. And that was all done over the little screen. Um, Now, there was occasional meetings. We'd have meetings in New York with the leadership team to get together. But the whole relationship with the rest of the organization was all done remotely. And, you know, if I look back and think about what was done right, what was done wrong, the remote wasn't, wasn't a problem. And and the other thing, getting back to the, like the interviewing is then I, I got to the point where I felt that I could do it. I almost think that there's a thing like that human beings have evolved a bit. Uh, you know, the technology is there, but our ability to sense and really connect with somebody else's like soul, you know, like where they really are. We've grown something that allows us to do that more effectively over the screen. You know, I, and I've taken sort of a position on return to office, which is, I think, it, it's absolutely invaluable that people get together and they spend time together. Um, but what we gotta kind of suss out of the thing is, where where is that necessary? It's necessary in different situations, very, necessary, very helpful and necessary. But sometimes, and I think we're seeing a lot of this now, it has to do with control. You know, it's like I'm a CEO and I want to just see my people or I got I just spent a hundred million dollars on this new office building. I want to see people sitting in those seats. That's frankly non-rational, that part of it. So I think you have to get away from an irrational desire to control or 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 some costs in an asset and get down to thinking about where does being in person with what frequency in what way create a value? And it's necessary to move this company or this effort forward, which is, you know, it's a requires interpretation.
0: Well, and, and if I can just if I can just tag on to that, what I'm hearing and what I'm always pushing is that, unfortunately, the vast majority of people want a right or wrong, a black or white, yeah. a this or that. And that is in life almost never the case. It's so many different levels and shades of gray. Like it works here, Just do it here. Let's do it. let tweak it over here. Like you can't just. It's, it's ne- almost never a right or wrong with this or that. And 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 then the, the second thing I wanted to put on the table, and then I'm going to open the floor to you as we begin to wrap up. Um, the second thing I wanted to say is, even from a, and I, and I struggle this myself. You know, when when I when I was working my last chief, my last chief role. Um, the company was based in Arizona. They allowed me to work from here in Woodbridge and I traveled, right? Uh, and then during COVID, it couldn't travel as much. They were definitely pros and cons. You know, one being here was comfortable. The other thing is staff across the country didn't always feel like I was there and they wanted me to travel more. And, but what I say is like, I think, I think that from an individual standpoint, each of us, you know, whether it's the, the company's doing it or not, I think each of us should want to and be intentional about traveling. It is it's it's great to read about something, it's great to look at some pictures about something, but man, it's 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 one thing to learn about Tokyo and then be in Tokyo. Yeah. It, it, and so I I encourage all of our listeners to go and immerse yourself in a different culture. Again, even if you're in California, go into Ohio or Iowa. Like that's a different thing that you I think you will learn and grow so much. And I I know we got to, I know we're at the wrap up. So I'm going to open the floor back to you. Um, The last, the the joke I mean to made earlier is that um, Pete hates uh, Pepsi. And that's because of all the time he spent um, working for Coke. Ha, 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 ha. (laughs) Uh, Different, different Coke. (laughs) I know, but it's still funny to say. Okay. So Pete, I know you have to jump off um, because you you have a, you have a, a, a big meeting with, I think the ambassador of Turkey, uh, or something like that. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts, ideas, anything you'd like to share as we wrap up?
1: Yeah, maybe. And I, I was thinking about this, um, so I was considering maybe, maybe writing a little piece on it. But um, so your audience, you know, the folks, everybody there, are us think this right. You know, and the stated purpose is how how do we how do we move forward in our career? You know, how do we we push that ahead? I saw this little thing. On, it was a LinkedIn feed. Maybe a lot of your, your viewers have seen it, but it was a thing with, from Obama. And he said this thing, and it was like, wow, he, he just said it. You know, it's like one of those things you kind of knew, but nobody had put words to it. And what it was is he said, when you do something, nail it. It's this thing, and let me just get it from both sides. You know, you get into something and maybe you don't have all the information or whatever, but it's a something that you've been asked to look at or do. And if you could just nail that thing, you know, you just put it to bed. And and what happens and think that way, and this is like no, you get no excuses, you know, you know, get help where you can get it. We talked about, you know, like looking out everything that's available and whatever, but you you know, delivering. Right. And you have to deliver in the right way, but delivering people in senior roles, that is exactly what they're looking for. Because it's like when you bring in somebody who reports to you and they do stuff and they nail it. And and almost maybe sometimes when you haven't had to be very involved, it's like, oh my God, thank God. Thank God. I want more of that. And and I'm convinced that when you deliver that way. That there's no, that, that's, that's what everybody wants. That's what every chairman of the board wants, what every CEO wants. You know, just people that you bring them in doesn't even necessarily require a lot of direction, but they nail it.
0: Man. Nail I, it. I can tell you, I, I yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Nail it nail it to the wall, put it to bed. Um, like you said, you know, oh my God, just taking things off of your, your, your leader's plate. Right. One last thing they have to worry about. I, I always tell people, and I'm gonna wrap up with this. I always tell people that um, when I was in a job, whenever, wherever I was serving, my job was to make my boss look good, make my staff look good. And if possible, make those around me look good. If I can do those things, I'm solid. Cause if my, my, if my boss is looking good and they're happy, then they're happy with me. <laughs> Look, Pete, thank you so much, so much for spending your time here with us and sharing your thoughts and your ideas and strategies and your stories. I absolutely, I know I grew and I know I learned so much. I know that anyone who has a, a, a pulse right now who's listening to this has also grown as a leader, as an individual themselves. And what I want to say before you wrap up again is thank you to everyone who's listening. And also, if you listening to Pete, he talked about the importance of relationships and being intentional about building those relationships and managing those relationships. And if those things are important to you, if you want to rise up the ranks, and I'm encouraging you, I'm suggesting, I'm recommending, I'm, I'm, I'm strongly encouraging you to read my new book, Relationships That Work. Um, that is specifically what is focused on is helping individuals who want to rise up the ranks know how to build those intentional uh, and mutually beneficial relationships. So everyone, thank you for being here. As always, um, oh, I almost forgot. Don't just look back, reach back. Don't just say someone else should have been here. Bring this content to them. Do us a favor. Do them a favor by liking it, commenting, and sharing it because you are your brother's keeper. Um, And as always, stay strong, stay positive and definitely stay moving. See ya. to the Executive Appeal with Alex Trumbull. I invite you to follow the Executive Appeal wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me, your host, Alex Trumbull, across all socials or via email for exclusive webinars, courses, and his speaking engagements on continued topics of executive leadership. So until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.